This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is Darren Hood, your host, and I am going to dive right in today because we have so much to cover trying to finish this topic in three weeks. But we're currently discussing the topic of overcoming the mirage of UX ambiguity. There's a lot going on in the world of UX today. We have come very far in this discipline, and I'm very happy to have been a part since almost the very beginning but we're going through some trying times, and the trying times, there, there's several aspects of it, but what I'm talking about today is a mirage that a lot of people see UX as being an ambiguous field. It's something that they feel nobody understands. They feel that there are no standards. They feel that we're just all over the place. I'm here today to continue addressing I feel that this is completely invalid and that the the ambiguity that appears to exist has some causes and there are causes that can easily be overcome as long as people who are really dedicated to the discipline, who really care about the discipline, who, who are looking to be involved, who have been involved and are looking to be involved in UX for some time, if we just simply adhere to a few key tenets. The supposed ambiguity goes away. And, and it is very important that this ambiguity go away because it's causing a lot of unrest. It's causing a lot of uh, devalued perception associated with UX. It is causing the wrong people to get hired into positions and people who actually know what UX are being overlooked today. I've experienced it. I know a lot of other people who've experienced it, Wow! in the world can somebody hire a person when and overlook people who are skilled in an area, flat out overlooked? I'm not talking about situations because I know some people, they, you, some of you out there, you know me, uh, you know some of the things that I've experienced on a personal level, some things I know about on a personal level. There are times that I have been in positions where I could have had a leadership role and simply chose not to apply for it. I'm not talking about those types of scenarios. I'm talking about scenarios where I know firsthand where someone applied for a UX position was ignored. In many cases, didn't even get an interview. And the people who were in charge chose to, to put a person with zero UX experience. And in most cases, a flat zero in knowledge into a leadership position. You might've done that to save yourself some money, but you're actually costing your organization money because everybody is busy playing guessing games. Have you ever seen the commercial? And I know this is a, a global program, but there's a commercial that's airing in the United States. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, but it really helps to describe what I'm getting at. It's a commercial for uh, a candy, uh, M&Ms. And in this M&M commercial, there is, uh, there's three M&Ms, if I remember correctly, and they're having a conversation. And the one M&M created the new fudge brownie M&M. 
and she's very confident. She's very happy, very satisfied with her accomplishment. And and she's talking with the other M&Ms and they're talking about how difficult it must have been to get the fudge brownie inside of this M&M. And then they show one of the M&Ms struggling immensely, trying to, it's really cute and funny, trying to struggle to get the fudge brownie inside of the M&M. Folks, that commercial might be funny. It might be cute. But today, a lot of companies are doing the exact same thing because they have someone who does not have the remotest clue trying to lead UX people without having a support system, without having any knowledge, and just happy as a lark that they have that position. And the people who put them in the position are happy because they filled the position. But that person doesn't represent UX properly. That person doesn't communicate about UX properly. A lot of times, those people, I've seen cases where people like that end up hiring a bunch of folks to their teams and they hire people just like them. And so you end up with a department of anywhere from four to 10 people and nobody knows what UX is. And it's it's really, it's just a motley crew of, of folks where you basically have decorated your your department with bodies. But the the work, the real work of UX does not get done. And then when those people go out and communicate with other people in the company, as well as maybe at meetups or things of that nature, the ambiguity, at least the mirage of ambiguity, advances because none of those people are doing anything to clarify what UX is about. They're not clarifying it within the organization. Stakeholders are making requests and they're getting something, but they're not getting the thing that they should have gotten because people don't know about it. I'll give you a little another example before we get into our actual main content that I've got outlined here. Uh, I was in a situation once. This is one of my horror stories where I was working for a very large company. Uh, I was running the UX department for one of its divisions and it was mandated that people who were doing UX work go out to Silicon Valley to attend a training class for UX. They want to make sure that we were all on the same page with regard to what UX was. And this is an absolute thing of beauty. And I'm being facetious when I say that because the people who were running the class didn't know anything about UX and the vast majority of the people attending. Okay. So they didn't know a whole lot about UX. Well, that's why you go to class and never put anybody down when they don't know anything. I only have concern when people who don't know anything profess that they do. That's when you have a problem. That is your Dunning-Kruger scenario that that hurts all of us. At any rate, we're in this class and, and I noticed that there were certain key elements associated with UX that were that were missing. So I took the instructor aside and I began to ask questions. One of the elements most notably that was missing was that of information architecture, that they were trying to tell us about the basics of user experience and information architecture, which is where the vast majority of us started. It was the foundation of what we now embrace as the world of UX. And because information architecture revolves around findability, it it stresses strong nomenclatures, it stresses strong taxonomies. It it helps people to establish information sense in their designs so that people can easily 
and quickly find what they're looking for so they can complete their tasks and 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 go away with a great impression of the brand. That's information architecture. I mean, the vast majority of what we're doing, what our users are doing when they come to the site is trying to find something. It is a means to an end. It is the biggest means to an end. And it was left out of the course. I could not believe that they were doing this. And, and I found out that the same company lost over a million dollars in one instance because there was absolutely no emphasis placed on information architecture. And so one project was a complete failure because the information architecture that was in place, and yes, if you don't do anything to properly and methodically structure a proper information architecture, you're still going to have an information architecture, but it's not going to work. And that's what happened in this case. They had an information architecture, a bad one. People couldn't find what they were looking for. Uh, the, the, the nomenclatures were all wrong. The taxonomies were really bad. Nobody could find anything, no information sense, and everybody was just upset with the product. And it had very bad reviews and had lots of uh, tons and tons of problems. We can't have <laughs> things like that. So it was interesting that they're trying to make sure that we're all on the same page, but it's bad when folks are trying to get you all on the same page and mm, there's a problem with the book so to speak, at that point. So needless to say, they weren't very happy with the fact that I was asking about information architecture. And actually, there was uh, the equivalent of a small riot that took place because I was putting emphasis not only on information architecture in that training, but I was putting emphasis on information architecture in the division I was running, which, by the way, was said at one time to be the best run division in that company, which had over 385,000 employees. So you tell me who's barking up the wrong, uh, the wrong tree here. So the sense of UX that existed at that company was not sound. When I started talking about UX from a different angle, people began to become confused. Here's the mirage again happening on the flip side where someone has the wrong information and they're operating in what's known as anchoring bias, where someone hears something and they believe it to be true and they lock in on the first thing that they hear. No examination, no research, no sense of nobility, no critical thinking. And then when the person hears what's accurate and what's true, now you have the, the consternation that takes place. Now you have a sense of ambiguity, but it's not because a person heard the wrong thing. It's because they heard the right thing. And this is one of the other challenges that we have because a lot of people are hearing the wrong things about UX. And then when they hear the right thing about UX, then everything, everything just sort of goes haywire. Consider another topic that comes up. I used to teach a class. And some of the people who, are, who know me already know this, but some people are not. But they see some of the things that I post on LinkedIn. And one of the things that, that got a, a huge uh, response recently was I posted something to the effect that for the 25,538th time, there is no such thing as UX UI. I used to teach a class called UX versus UI. What's the difference? A lot of people when they initially hear of UX or early on in hearing about UX, they 
either assume that UX is referring to user interface or they think that UX and UI are interchangeable. And so in a lot of cases, you hear people say UX slash UI or they just say UX, UI. And, and they assume that when you hear UX, that UI is the equivalent thereof. And it doesn't really matter which one you stress. You can say UI, UX, UX, UI, it doesn't matter. When you say one, you're really saying the other. In the minds of many, the people who do that have never done any research on the topic. The people who do that have never deep dived it. The people who do that haven't even really put any effort into looking at the concept of them not being the same. And so they get lost in anchoring bias, unbeknownst to them. This is an honest mistake that a lot of people make, but it is something that it's where it should be the days of embracing that should be over. I had it in my title once, but I was doing some UI design. There's a very small arena where that might be accurate. But for the most part, people are using UX UI interchangeably. People don't understand that UX is made up of several multiple methods and methodologies where UI is speaking about one thing and one thing only. It's talking about the user interface. It's talking about what a person sees on the presentation level. It's not talking about research. It's not talking about usability. It's not talking about interaction design. It's not talking about information architecture and all of the underlying elements that come to make those what they should be in their best possible forms and stages. So a lot of confusion, but again, anchoring bias, they hear it. One person never thought about it before. They heard someone else say UI UX and they repeat it. And it's amazing how we have this monkey see, monkey do type of uh, a bias that comes along too, where you see someone else do it, you hear someone else say it, you will assume we've all done it, whether we want to admit it or not, we've all done it. We, we, we see and hear someone else say or do a thing, and then we simply, we assume that it's right, especially if you think of that person that you saw or heard, we, we assume that that person knows what they're talking about and knows what they're doing. And then we repeat it. And then someone else hears us. And remember the old, old classic commercial and you tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on and so on. And the next thing you know, a thousand people are all saying UI UX when it never should have been said the first time. So when I taught the class, it was the first time a lot of people have heard it. When I posted that to LinkedIn recently, it was the first time some people had ever even considered it. Some people even, because people, when they're in anchoring bias and they hear you contradicting this thing that they're anchored in, they don't like it. They're not, they're not comfortable with that. They don't like you rocking their boat. And uh, a lot of people like to argue. I, I will never understand how and why people feel that it's okay to argue in a social media forum that has professionalism at its base. Uh, it's not professional to, to argue, especially when you really have no idea what it is that, that you're addressing or, or discussing, and you have no idea who you're talking to. You, you have no idea what that person's background is. You have no idea uh, 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 what that person's MO is. Sometimes people you don't know what they're, how long they've been in the field. I mean, just really, it, I've seen some ridiculous things out there in, in, um, in the LinkedIn world. 
but people don't like hearing that they're, they don't know it as an anchoring bias. And until someone tells them or unless they tell themselves, they still won't come into the knowledge of the fact that they're, that they're embracing an anchoring bias, that they're manifesting it, they're demonstrating it, they're walking in it. And so that whole UX UI thing, it's got to go. But that's part of what's contributing to, again, is nothing more than a mirage. And I'm going to prove that out eventually. I think this is going to, by the way, end up being four weeks instead of three. But the issues associated with this mirage are that people appear to be confused or they express that they're confused and they actually are confused, but they shouldn't be. We're going to talk about some of these elements that, that are contributing. And I'm going to sort of close today because we only have a few minutes left. I want to give you another scenario. This is completely fictitious, but it helps to explain what's going on a little bit more. So uh, with this uh, instance, let's say that, um, there's a new fictitious new position that comes along and let's say that this position is a skyologist. And so the first expert learns and confirms that the sky is blue and a lot of the studies and the work that this person is doing all revolve around the fact that the sky is blue and there's a lot of underlying methods and methodologies that, that, that uh, uh, go into this work. But this person is, is proven in his work becoming acclaimed and then after that, that, that first expert validates these things. There are several other experts from all over the world, uh, from all genders, from all types of backgrounds, and they're getting on board and they're studying and they're confirming and they see and they believe and they teach that the sky is indeed blue. So during the early days of skyology, um, those who were learning, uh, some of them may be self-taught. Some of them are going to school for it. Some programs pop up. Uh, they really, really enjoy and understand this sky is blue perspective and they're starting to ride the momentum. Well, along comes a person who out of the blue declares that the sky is green and they present their arguments and they present different points and they know about the sky is blue stuff. They just go a different direction for whatever reason. The numbers of people embracing the the uh, initial schools of thought on skyology, they're continuing to grow, but this new school of thought about the sky being green is really growing rampantly. Hundreds and eventually thousands of people join the, fr the fray. They believe that the sky is green, and there are now relatively a high percentage of people who believe the same. So now you got a bunch of people who believe the sky is green, a bunch of people that believe the sky is blue. Schools teaching the green sky mindset are popping up everywhere. The courses are very costly, by the way. Uh, they're posting articles to Medium. They have podcasts. In other words, they're extremely loud. They're very outspoken and people who don't know the difference are jumping on board with this sky is green mentality, listening to all the different things that these people are saying, folks, the sky is blue. We know the sky is blue. And someone who looks at all these variances in opinion, they begin to experience ambiguity. But keep in mind, there was no ambiguity before somebody came along and said that the sky is green. This is the mirage that I'm pointing out. This is what UX has suffered. And this is what I'm going to address in the next two episodes that we're going to put this to rest. And I hope that people will embrace it because we cannot overcome 
the mirage of ambiguity until the UX community as a whole embraces where we have come from and we stop jumping on board and, and, and exalting newfangled methodologies. Let's embrace the true factors associated with UX so we can bring true value and help stakeholders, business leaders, and other new people coming into the discipline to understand where we have been, where we are going, and what makes real solid UX. That's what's going to get us over this hump. Folks, that's all the time that we have for today. Thanks again for joining me. But this is your host, Darren Hood of the World of UX Podcast. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.